Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. On the pod today, we have the president of the Center for American Progress, Neera Tandon, also a longtime Hillary aide and uh, healthcare expert. We're going to talk to Neera about some ACA stuff. Um, but first, what a day. Which day? Yesterday? Lots of the Super Bowl victory? I'm talking about the Super Bowl victory. All right, you guys Look, do this. Just get it over with. I don't want to be, yeah, we don't want to be insufferable Patriots fans. We know our, our listeners. Just insufferable have... Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm taking comfort in the fact that Donald Trump left his own Super Bowl party a little after the half, right when the Pats comeback began. So he's not a real fan. I, I just want to do a quick message to America. Let's not make everything about politics. I know, I know. Like, just, <laughs> a football game can be just a fucking football game. It's not about, stop trying not and, to swear anymore. It can be just a football are? game. Yeah. Be better about it. This is also a save com- it. This is for also you, a, yeah. usually everything is about politics, but we're compartmentalizing because we're Patriots fans. That's right. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Um, it's called hypocrisy. <laughs> and and this game was on last night. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You were there. You I were jumping there. up and down. A lot of you were taking pictures creation. of yourself. You were putting them on Twitter. A lot Always of posting. Tommy, you want to talk about Pod Save the World? The Juggernaut, yes. the new Juggernaut from new Crooked Media. Juggernaut from Crooked Media. Pod Save the World, my new now weekly. We moved up to weekly already due to popular demand. Uh, show about foreign policy. I'm going to try to take you guys inside the White House Situation Room, the big meetings, the, the trips uh, we did with President Obama by interviewing the people who made the decision while we were there. This week, I have Dan Restrepo, who handled all of Latin America policy for President Obama. A really smart guy. He understands the politics, the policy, and he speaks like a human being in multiple languages. So okay, he's, cool. a, he's Dan, a good person to hear. Dan's going to tell us how to build the wall. Um, yeah, he's going to tell us when the wall is going up. <laughs> and, uh, and before we begin, we have a quick word from one of our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down. Not do what generations of... New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system 
bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Okay, shall we? Let's let's get to the news. Oh, yeah, should, should we enough first, business. Should we first have a moment of silence for the victims of the Bowling Green Massacre? Okay, that was good. Thank you. We should, um, we're going to insert music in there. In memoriam segment. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's start with the uh, the failing New York Times had quite a story that that Maggie Haberman and Glenn Thresh dropped uh, just at halftime last night. Yeah, it's and, just a great. And Great what a move. story it was. Boss move. Uh, this, the story is called Trump and Staff Rethink Tactics After Stumbles. But it really should be called Dotty Old Racist Wanders Around the White House in a Bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the takeaway image of this thing for me is that Trump leaves the office at 6.30 p.m., nothing else to do, I guess, walks upstairs and like watches cable alone with a private security guard just screaming at Don Lemon on the TV. In his bathrobe. That's what it was. It's very, he it's very William Randolph Hearst. It's he, not great. He often offers a bitter play-by-play of critics like CNN's Don Lemon. Of all the critics, it's Don, oh, Don Lemon. Lemon. He's wasted it. Hey, President Trump, don't waste your time yelling at Don Lemon. Yeah, yell at us. Yell at us. Yell at you anyone. Can't use a phone. I just... The thing about these stories about like it feels like year six Nixon. Like it just feels yeah. like a president who's just beleaguered and who's been at this... The, it's two and a half weeks old. It does. I mean, in fairness, it feels like it's been 10 years. <laughs> the, the extraordinary anecdote in that story, though, joking aside, is that he was so upset about the presidential memorandum that codified Steve Bannon as part of the National Security Council because he didn't actually understand it when he signed it. That is, that is scary. And yeah, dangerous. it's like Steve Bannon's just having him sign memos like just initial here, sign yeah. here. I'm the president now. <laughs> yeah. um, you you have no more power. He's like doing a subprime mortgage with an old woman <laughs> who should, can't afford it. That's what he's basically doing. He's running it's a like fucking to like a Fred subprime. Thompson commercial. Yes, he's doing a reverse, what, mortgage, a reverse mortgage with an old woman who trusted him and who just wanted somebody to talk to. Uh, and by the way, <laughs> how much do those guys hate Chris Christie? Just so thirsty for a job that he will tee off on them at any moment. Good for Chris Christie. <laughs> I would have said that. Yeah, I would have yeah. gone. I would have gone further. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there were some great de- uh, uh, a couple details from the story. Uh, cloistered in the White House, he now has little access to his fans and supporters, an important source of feedback and validation. Fans. Everyone talks about him, by the way, and writes about him like he is a six-year-old. Rightly so. Right. But it's just so funny, the tone that comes through in these stories. And he feels increasingly pinched by the pressures of the job and constant and the constant presence of protests. Mm. That is awesome. Yeah, keep that it was, up. Yeah. That's probably the best news in that he story. He hears them in there. He is mad about the protests. They're getting to him. Uh, it also is definitely getting to him because... <clears throat> Outrageously, this morning on Fox and Friends, uh, Sean Spicer, who's now been memorialized by M- Melissa McCarthy and in, uh, in SNL this weekend. Tough hit, Sean. Tough hit. Uh, Spicer says that was asked about the protests, and he said they are quote a very paid astroturf type movement, not like the Tea Party, which was organic. 
This is yeah. it, of all the lies. This one really bugs me. Yeah, yeah. Soros cutting a lot of K ones this year with all those contracts. Well, that's because like they, they they do fake news all the time and like believe your own facts. Blah blah. blah. Like the, when you have when you see pictures of like thousands and thousands of people protesting, I think to myself, okay, this they can't ignore and lie about mm-hmm. because this is real and it's in your face, and they're still lying it's about like, it. Like what? Where do these people send their W twos? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? And and it's also it's a protest like. It's somebody who's making this point. It's not that expensive. It's a couple bottles of water and some cardboard. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you think we need to do to bankroll this? Yeah. <laughs> to Uber to the airport. Everybody's fine. Well, lift to the airport. I would love a, <laughs> I, a reporter at the briefing should ask Spicer, like, what is the evidence that you have that yeah. they're paying protests? What is the hourly rate? Because this, this yeah. could easily turn into another crowd size lie. Three to five million illegal voted lie. I mean, there's just there's no evidence right. for this whatsoever. They're at their worst when they dig in and defend, defend, defend. The other thing I loved about this is that the guy can barely sit through the PDB every day. They're shrinking the thing down to like bullet points essentially, but he flipped through a 17 page book of like window dressing options. I mean, like we waited a year and a half to redecorate the Oval because we thought we'd get attacked for it, and because Obama paid for it himself, he had the gold curtains up literally day one. He's very proud of the curtains. Very proud of the curtains. They look, they look fine. <laughs> he should not be president. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back to the Bannon thing, though. So that Trump is tr- Trump is pissed that Bannon got on the National Security Council and he didn't know about it apparently because mm-hmm. he's just signing things left and right. Um, and then last week, the Washington Post, I think Ashley Parker and Phil Rucker had a story that said uh, Trump has raised the fact with AIDS that Bannon got the cover of Time Magazine. So then this morning on uh, Trump's primary source of information about the world, Trump's Morning PDB. Joe. Yeah, Trump's PDB, Morning <laughs> Joe. Um, oh, no. So they're on Morning <laughs> Joe. They show the Bannon Time magazine cover. They play the SNL clip of President Bannon and um, uh, of, of President Trump and President Bannon thing. And then they discuss that uh, maybe Bannon's calling the shots. And sure enough, like five minutes later, we get this Trump tweet. I call my own shots, largely based on an accumulation of data, (laughs) and everyone knows it. Some fake news media, in order to marginalize, lies. I just, based on Trump, you can't, that's too much. Like, we can maybe (laughs) buy... It's an interesting use of 140 characters. Marginalize? We can, like, all right, I get why you want to say that you're calling the shots, but nobody believes you're making your decisions based on an accumulation of data. No one thinks you have data. No one thinks you're looking at the facts. There have been many aides in the White House that have flown a little too close to the sun, right? Karl Rove being called Bush's brain was probably not great. We've seen it with other presidents. Steve Bannon got there faster than anyone else in history. I I would be a bit scared to death if I were him. Yeah. I mean, well, I think we should keep it up, you know? Yep. Impeach President Bannon, guys. Impeach, Impeach President Bannon. Impeach President Bannon. Coming to a merch T-shirt. store near you. <laughs> Speaking of, don't forget, one week left, sales almost over. Capitalism. <laughs> it's our Kickstarter. Thanks to Jesse McLean, hey, our graphic designer. Use your Soros check. Yeah. Buy a T-shirt and then go to the protest. Everybody then got, everyone's, everyone everybody wins. Your Soros money win, from win. the protest. Um, one other thing, though, in that story that I wanted to make sure we covered, which is that... Uh, that Paul Ryan and Bannon are talking all the time. And we and now the story originally said They were texting. They were texting, but then somebody got it corrected and now they're just talking. But regardless, uh, this is from the story. Uh, Speaker Ryan, have you ever texted with Steve Bannon? Do <laughs> you said, have his number? Uh, Mr. Ryan, he once he once described as the enemy and vowed to force out, force out, but he now talks regularly with, with Mr. Ryan to coordinate strategy or plot their planned overhaul of the tax code. Separately, Politico reported that uh, Kevin McCarthy, the House number two, speaks with Trump several times a week by phone. And Trump dotes on McCarthy, even referring to him as my Kevin. 
And <laughs> what? The, yes. So I just want to make sure we're all aware that Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy are not holding their nose. They're breathing in and out. <laughs> they are in it. Hey, congrats oh. to Brendan Buck for uh, getting that texting thing changed to phone call. Though. Great, job, great job, Brendan. Great job, Brendan. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. You're allowed to come on anytime. We invited you on the tweets. I want to know what emojis they use when they text. That's all I want. <laughs> Exploding truck face. Trump watched Morning Joe, but he also watched CNN this morning because uh, David Challion did this whole segment on his polls and how his polls are bad, and which immediately led Trump to tweet, any negative polls are fake news. <laughs> that is that is a parody of a of a Trump tweet. Not just like polls are fake news because polls have been wrong. Any negative polls are fake news. Positive polls, right on track. How? That's <laughs> what... Two weeks we're at this level yeah. of parody. See, nothing to even say about that. You know what? It was nice watching the Super Bowl last night and looking at Twitter because even though everyone was making everything political, it was like a moment where you weren't constantly scared and upset by something Trump was doing. You know, right. it's just I noticed this morning when he when I saw his tweets again, I'm like, oh, we're back to it. We had like a brief three hour window where this was not although, a thing. Although I have to say, yes, reporters, you can analogize you can make a joke about how the game it's like the election. Oh, the Falcons didn't go to Wisconsin. Oh, it looks like Comey made me the ref. <laughs> <laughs> Great job, guys. First, first, it. first couple jokes were funny. Yeah. By like joke 45, yeah. that wasn't as funny. I think there's a 99% chance that the Falcons win. Enough. Falcons shouldn't have booked the Javits Center so early. That one was a good one, and that was yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just I, mean, I said it because I didn't want to say it, you know. Um, all right, let's go to... So before the Super Bowl... Yeah, uh, let's talk about O'Reilly. Trump sat down with O'Reilly. Uh, and it's Bill O'Reilly. You might have, might have heard of him. Um, he at you mean point, in the no spin zone? He's in the no spin zone. No spin zone for uh, yeah. So Bill O'Reilly said uh, he started talking about Putin, and you know, do you respect Putin? Trump said yes, I respect Putin as he's ordered to. And then uh, O'Reilly said, well, he's a killer. And Trump said, well. We've got killers in this country. What do you think? Our country's so innocent? Can we, can we just start by pointing out that this is the softest Bill O'Reilly history. He is such a wuss when it comes to interviewing Donald Trump. Yeah. When Obama did this interview in 2011, Bill asked him, does it disturb you that so many people hate you? And then he followed <laughs> up like three times. Like, but they hate you. They hate you. Okay? So, yeah, O'Reilly <laughs> pressed him on this. And he's like, Trump said, yeah, we got a lot of killers. Do you think our country is so innocent? Which... The charitable explanation is that he's referring to Iraq and that the toll, uh, the civilian casualties, the result of that enormous mistake were enormous. But there's just there's no way you can say that we target and kill political opponents or journalists the way Putin does. I mean, he's funding separatists in eastern Ukraine. He which he is. There's a long list of political opponents like Boris Nemtsov and Alexander Litvinenko who died from a radioactive uh plutonium that was slipped in his drink i mean they're murdering it happens all people. the time it happens all the time in the united states yeah, yeah it's very reagan it's did it well, what is he talking about i mean and like it started this whole debate about american exceptionalism and finally like a lot of conservatives came out and blasted him for this comment rightly so but it's just amazing to watch these people because these are the same folks who accused obama of going on an apology tour because he admitted that maybe our foreign policy decision making hadn't been perfect over time mitt romney wrote a book called No Apology <laughs> as a Rebuke to Barack Obama, who, as far as I can tell, who only yeah. went so far as to be like, America's made some mistakes in the past. Okay. No apology. Here's an example. Central part of my campaign. Our country has not perfected itself, was the first thing he said when he was in Berlin. That, <laughs> here, was, here, the, that yeah. was the attack. He said to, in the Cairo speech, Americans are not your enemy. We sometimes make mistakes. We have not been perfect. Dear God. <laughs> now, he's at, now, now Donald Apology Trump's tour. like, we're worse than Putin. What do you want? <laughs> Come at me. 
And meanwhile, Paul Ryan, nowhere Paul to be like, found. Uh, Steve, I just wanted to text you about the tax cuts. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then Mark, Mark... He's like, dollar sign, dollar sign, question and, mark, Steve. And, and Marcus Rubenstein... Marcus Rubenstein, who's not going to be up for election until 2022, can only muster up, I think that Putin's not good. <laughs> Marco, you silly guy. As he, as he then started tweeting his play-by-play of the Super Bowl. I think the Super Bowl's going great, and I enjoyed Lady Gaga, but I won't be critical of a president who hates America. <laughs> because I'm Marco Rubio, and I'm a serious adult. Immigration, I'm for it. Not anymore. <laughs> Whatever you want, I want. I'm Marco Rubio. So- <laughs> So anyway, so that was um, that was the O'Reilly interview. Uh, this was it was also taped right before um, the big news of the weekend, which was uh, a judge, a Seattle-based judge, uh, Judge James Robart, uh, in a case brought by the states of Washington and Minnesota, uh, put a nationwide halt on the Muslim ban, on the travel ban, um, and of course, ban is your word. Ban is my. <laughs> you said ban. <laughs> you said ban. You said ban. Glenn you said ban. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, there have been a whole bunch of other rulings uh, since the ban went into effect, but this one was by far the most expansive because he said that it had to go for every state. It wasn't just Washington and Minnesota, even though they brought the case. So, the entire order, the entire EO, is now on pause um, while it's appealed. Basically, the the government then appealed uh, to the Ninth Circuit and said that they wanted the ban in place while it was still being appealed. The Ninth Circuit denied the government's emergency request to reinstate the ban. Uh, And so now the next place it would go is to the Supreme Court. Um, If there is a tie at the Supreme Court, the federal, the original federal decision stands, because that's what happens when there's a tie at the Supreme Court. And for that, Trump can thank the Republicans and uh, keeping the seat open for Merrick Garland. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so as opposed to just saying, you know, maybe Trump could have said something like, that was a bad decision. I don't agree with it. No, no. He said, the so-called judge. So-called judge. That wasn't even the worst one. And then, no, that wasn't the worst one. He, there was basically like five tweets about this from Trump over the course of the day. The last one was the worst. He said, just cannot believe a judge would put our country in such peril. If something happens, blame him and court system. Period. People pouring in. Period. Bad. No, they're not. Period. No, they're not. So, yeah, this is now... The most egregious thing he's done uh, via Twitter, I think, and maybe the entire time he's been in, in office, uh, he's threatening the judicial system. He's just outright saying, if there's an attack, I will blame them because I can't keep the country safe under the Constitution. And that's the most dangerous thing he's done. So, of course, we can expect weeks of hearings uh, from the Republican Congress who yeah. will do their best, not just as represent- representatives of a party, but literally the representatives of a branch of our equal of a co-equal branch of our government, they will call hearings. They will make the central to the Gorsuch, uh, Gorsuch uh, nomination fight. Um, I'm sure Paul Ryan has raised this personally with Donald Trump and made it uh, a focus of their of their conversations. Um, I oh, can, wait, oh wait, wait, is none of that any, happening? I don't think any of it happened. Oh, are they just rolling over like a bunch of feckless cowards, wow. so putting to, the entire their, country at risk? To their credit. Great. I like that speech. But like Ben Sass strongly criticized him. There were some Republicans out there on this. Even McConnell yeah. was like, this was inappropriate. Ben Sass is a, it does okay. Yeah. Not Mike Pence, though. Mike Pence on Meet the Press was like, well, he's got feelings about the judiciary. Well, he can strong, he can strong views. Yeah, Mike, well, watching Mike Pence try to defend Donald Trump is just sad. But I mean, like, he's clearly views the courts rightly, probably, as the final check on his unbridled power to do whatever he wants across yeah. the country. And he's laying the predicate to attack them in case something bad happens. Thanks for saying it was a nice speech, Tommy. Hmm? <laughs> You're welcome. It was really good. I liked it. Um, but I, I think, like, people uh, think you don't like me. 
We're going to get into this now? Yeah, yeah. Come on, we got, we got near in 10 minutes. Let's go. We got other yeah, things to cover. Yeah, yeah. Also, people wonder if you like me. <laughs> is this we'll do a bonus is this, is this the About Love It segment? <laughs> so, important things to read. From the New York Times over the weekend, from the New York Times over the weekend, there was a really important story about the way ISIS actually directs attacks. And, and the key takeaway is that the threat we face is not foreign. It's people in Primarily. the United States yeah. who... Uh, we call them lone wolves, but often they're actually directed by ISIS from abroad, right? But these are people who feel, uh, you know, like they're they're being radicalized. They feel like they're we're at war with the West, right? And like this Muslim ban again makes us less safe because it, it's going to make more of these people come up. Michael Hayden wrote a really important piece about how the ban makes it harder to get human intelligence sources in all the countries named because one of the things we promised them is we'll bring you and we'll bring your family to the United States if you help us. And now they feel like. We can't keep up with that that honor. We can't honor that promise. Michael so, Hayden, the former former Bush intel guy, intel yeah. guy. Um, you know, I, you see these tweets, and it's like, oh, he's done something outrageous, egregious. But I, I do notice that it's, it's we're just at some point, God forbid, but the likelihood is that one of, there will be a lone wolf attack, there will be some kind of terrorist attack, and then if he's doing this now. What does he do then? I mean, that's the real. He's scary. telling us what he's. Gonna I know do. he's telling us what yeah. he's going to do, and I don't know what. Like we're just sort of like watching the. Watching yeah. the train come, you know. I mean, I don't know what you do in advance other than just talk about it and, just and defend the judiciary and and, and have as many people in influential roles as possible, whether it's Republicans, other leaders, just talk. You know, and I also a lot of people were very quick to rush and be like, "Well, this judge that uh, that halted the ban was a George W. Bush appointee, and you know he has some conservative positions." But it's like, I don't care if he was the fucking most liberal judge ever. He's yeah. a judge. Yeah. Right? Like, when the judiciary makes a decision, they make a decision, you know? The other thing is, um, I was thinking about, too, that we're going to get to the point where we'll be talking more about uh, federal employees having to decide whether or not to honor an order from the administration that violates a court order and how we handle that, how we're ready for that, what the ACLU is doing to be prepared to help those people. I am heartened that the uh, after an initial round of confusion... Like DHS said that the Customs and Border Patrol would honor the uh, the judge's order because right. there was a little there was a moment there where they weren't and you wondered was it confusion or was it because they're just deciding not to carry the order out and I, I was like very worried about that but it's good to see that at now that the confusion has died down that they all are carrying well, out the judge's you know, order. Following out a legal order doesn't mean you don't go to jail just because the president told you to do it. Right. And people will go to, like, the president won't go to jail. He can pardon himself. He can pardon anyone he wants. But you can't break the law on behalf of, on his behalf. You don't work for him. It's also, you know, we have the National National Counterterrorism Center, the FBI's Terrorist Screening Center, State Department, DOD, DHS. Like, all of these agencies are currently vetting refugees. It's an 18 to 24-month process. Like, and the president's just saying that's not happening. He's telling these people they're incompetent and they can't do their job because some judge made a ruling. I mean, it's just like, it's yeah. not how you lead a workforce. It's not how you do anything. The other thing is, like, this... This EO landed in the courts because of his, Donald Trump's gross incompetence in putting together an executive order with a bunch of incompetent goons in his White House who didn't know what the hell they were doing. Right. Right? Like, he could have, he could have devised an order <laughs> that we disagreed with, but that would have maybe been lawful. Right? right? He could have tailored it in the right way. He could have had the right, you know, he could have had all kinds of people in Congress and in his White House and experts weigh in on this. He didn't do that because it is a clown show in the White House. And so he, he's sort of trying to mask the incompetence of his own administration by attacking this judge. Sure. Bad. I don't think he's a good president, guys. <sighs> this is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's this great stuff coming. Lots of great stuff. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. 
when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. So, a few other things that were going on this week. I mean, <laughs> it's first of all, dangerous. How do we even fi- it's like even structuring this conversation is impossible because there's so much happening between Thursday and Monday that's insane. This is sort of the whole point, right? Yep. Yeah. With all these regulations we're about to go into, that's Well, like, and, I barely even recognize half of these things happened. And you hear some journalists and conservative comment commentators say, you know, the people in middle America don't they don't care as much about the ban and the protests and they don't follow the news like we do and so they're not as uptight about that. And I that's that's probably true in many cases. There are a number of things that happened last week that I do think threatened to um, expose the emptiness of the promise that Trump made to working class America to protect them. And if I had my way, like, and I was running a Democratic campaign, the main message would be Trump said he was going to help working class people, and he did not, and here's why. And, and, the, and then you could list the regulations that we're going to get into right now. But you see it's this hard all the to time. keep these things in the news. You see this all the time, which is reporters constantly back and forth between description and normative judgment like yeah. they describe like this is not breaking through in middle america and now like that may be true yeah no but it's i'm not sure it's true but it's not good <laughs> right and so it's like well okay well, because what it says is you you people you people should stop talking about this stuff because it's not breaking through in middle america doesn't care but it is like a it's like a it's like a it's circle circular, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's an uroboros it's also if you will condescending and paternalistic and guess what there's some muslims who live in middle america yeah it's probably breaking through and if, big protests in red states yeah. yeah we 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 brought in uh huge numbers of muslims to live in the midwest but anyway, this so this last week, Trump and Congress um, repealed regulations that prevented mining companies from dumping toxic waste into water. Cool. Um, oil companies now do not have to disclose their payments to foreign governments. Awesome. Finally. Um, <clears throat> Trump signed an executive order stating uh, that they want to look into and repeal most of Dodd-Frank, which were the Wall Street regulations put in place after the economic crisis. So now Wall Street can... And the best is Trump signs this with a, uh, with a picture of... Former Goldman Sachs COO Gary Cohn smiling Gary Cohn. behind Trump Gary as he's Cohn. signing his order to just dismantle do, Wall Street do regulations. It, do it, do the, it, The yes. Goldman Sachs executive who apologized to the nation at that first uh, hearing in 2008 before the bailout. Oh, really? He was the guy. Yeah. Oh, man. Just a, just a real fuck you to everyone. Uh, and then also signed an executive order repealing the rule that uh, Obama put in place that said financial advisors have to act in their customers' best interests. We're, you know what? 
people are sick of getting good advice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they want to know that they they want to know that their financial advisor has getting a cut of some weird derivative, and that that's why you're getting it. They are they're trying to fire uh, the consumer watchdog Richard Cordray, uh, who has returned billions of dollars to consumers um, to make sure that uh, banks and mortgage lenders don't take advantage of them, and also. This is this one is just like why the FCC is now stopping nine companies from providing subsidized internet to poor people. You know, that's such a, How are they supposed to find Trump's tweets? Yeah, <laughs> that's just so cruel, right? Because like, what child in 2017 can do homework without the internet? You know, you're just you're just that's who you're hurting. Also, it, it's paid for by the companies. The companies want to subsidize this. It's not like taxpayer money. This is just it's why it's also. <clears throat> so how do we keep Trump doesn't care about any of this? He's just a vessel for these right. for these. Ideological buffoons around him. Goons. 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 You're saying goons so much. We're all saying goons too much. <laughs> Sorry, you started it. I know. Um, how do we keep these things in the news, right? Because I, I do think this is when people in the when when most people hear about these moves that he is screwing over working people. That's what's going to separate them from Trump. And I, it's so hard because he does. It's the tweets, and it's the you know, it's the bans, and it's the protests, and it, it's just hard to keep these. I mean, in the protest news. has been the one surefire way to grab hold of the news cycle, right? For us, like, yeah, that has worked mm-hmm. and put. I mean, that changed everything. So, but you know, you can't, you can't. Pro, it's like today's protest is about the first executive order, not the second executive order. You know, it's like hard. This is also where Democrats need to be very focused on the language they use. Mm-hmm. If you're out there chanting "Save Dodd Frank, Preserve the Fiduciary Role," you're probably not winning the argument. But if you're out there saying, "Hey, do you want a used car salesman handling your retirement and trying to upsell you on fancy products that don't necessarily work?" No. Okay, then you want these regulations in place. That I just say that, Tommy. That's, that's that was long, not like a, a great. They chance. put your financial. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like make them put your financial interests above theirs. I mean, these yeah. are we have to be able to talk about these things. We better. believe, like, in, a, we believe like, in a free but fair market with regulations that protect consumers, but we're not against businesses doing well. <laughs> you know, hey, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are good at this. Very good. Yeah, they're they're right. Brown, Sherrod Brown is good at this. There, yeah, there, are, there are Democrats that have uh, that, that that do well with this messaging. One place where this all kind of comes together is the fight to save the Affordable Care Act. Um, the protests and the calls are working in the Affordable Care Act. Um, there are Republican office holders in very conservative districts. I saw one story out of Tampa Bay uh, where the town hall was overwhelmed by people who just wanted to save the ACA, and this guy had no idea what he was doing. There was one, there was one person at that that had a very funny quote <clears throat> that I really liked. It was very simple. This was it. He just said, yes, we have something in place. They have nothing in place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it's the Affordable Care Act has never been more popular than it is right now, uh, now that people want to get rid of it. Um, yeah, grass a, is always greener, isn't it, guys? Frank Unbelievable. Lunt, Frank Luntz is out there telling Republicans not to say repeal and replace anymore, but to say repair. Um, so think, bunch, is, I'm, I'm surprised that Frank Luntz has, is out and about, um, <laughs> because uh, most recently he was recovering from a glitter attack, um, and uh, I believe bedbound uh, for quite some time. I think the glitter attack is what got them at Bowling Green. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was mostly mostly casualties due to glitter at Bowling Green. <laughs> Excessively fabulous. Um, but so... In uh, in the O'Reilly interview, right. uh, he was asked about Trump was this asked about this, and <clears throat> and O'Reilly said, you know, will there be uh, a replacement for the Affordable Care Act this year? And Trump's quote was, maybe it'll take till sometime into next year, but we're certainly going to be in the process. It statutorily takes a while to get. That is the first time he's ever used the word statutorily. Somebody yeah, said it to him. 
that day, maybe an hour Five before. Seconds yeah. before. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and then he said, we're going to be putting it in fairly soon. I think that, yes, I would like to say by the end of the year, at least the rudiments, but we should have something within the year and the following year. First period, of all, end quote. that is actually amazing for a couple reasons. He sounds like such a politician. He, he sounds does. like a president who's dealing with the fact that, that the job is hard. And he doesn't. He he sees the danger in repealing the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, I I love that he's pushing this thing into 2018. Push it as close to the the midterm elections as possible. Let's make this as big a deal as we possibly can for as long as possible. Yeah, I just I don't know what's going on there. Well, then Ryan Paul Ryan is interviewed on Meet the Press, and he's and I think Chuck Todd said, you know, are you. Are you using this word repair now too? And Ryan basically said, "No, no, no. We're still repealing and replacing." No, I'm gutting this thing <laughs> because this is this is again this is the divide now, right? Like when it comes time for yeah. unconstitutional travel bans, Paul Ryan's against it, but doesn't really want to say anything or just right. sort of like nods in approval because he's waiting for the tax cuts and he's waiting for the repeal right. of the Affordable Care Act. But when he comes time when it comes time to do these things, Paul Ryan's like, "Okay, can we repeal Obamacare?" And Steve Bannon's like, "No, we're trying to be populist over here, so uh, watch out." Text, 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 text. (laughs) 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 Angry face emoji, angry face emoji. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm fine. Do you have a chance to jump on the phone? No, let's just text him anything. Bannon's like, text, can you say repair? Three bubbles. Honestly, (laughs) (laughs) he started typing, but then he just left. You know, perhaps, perhaps if they get in a big text fight, um, uh, they can. Uh, Those know, things escalate. Yeah, you know. And then the pretty soon, then, then then they're not talking. And then to make it up for it, Paul Ryan has to send Bannon books. <laughs> when we come back, we will have the president of the Center for American Progress, Neera Tandon. This is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's more great show coming your way. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. With us on the pod today, we have president of the Center for American Progress, longtime Hillary Clinton aide, healthcare expert, Neera Tandon. Neera, welcome to the pod. Great to be with you guys, I think. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. Fabulous. It's going to be amazing and terrific. You and John have something in common, which is uh, uh, I worked for both of you. So, you know, yeah. congratulations on that. <laughs> when I was trying to- <laughs> so the weird thing is, you worked bear. for John after me, so I don't know that happened. No, and, I, and look, I asked Nara what she thought about Love It, and there was a little bit of a pause that I should have... <laughs> I, I definitely gave a shrug. He's yeah. fine. <laughs> I should have taken that. I feel like as, the uh, phrase, hit or miss, was issued. <laughs> uh, PolitiFact, true. Okay, Nira, uh, we were just talking about the Affordable Care Act, and um, I, you probably saw the O'Reilly interview where Trump now said... Uh, you know, they might now push it into 2018. Uh, what do you do? You think there's like a method behind this madness at all? Like, one of my fears is that they don't act on anything right now, and yet because there's no certainty, a bunch of insurers leave the exchanges, and then bad things start happening to the individual insurance market, and then prices go up, and then the Republicans say, "Well, look, now it's failing even worse than it was." Democrats help us fix this law. Like, I'm sort of wondering how this plays out. 
I mean, I definitely think that in the world of Donald Trump, uh, any conspiracy theory is is reasonable. Um, <laughs> I, I guess what I would say is that he he Donald Trump and the Republicans are going to own whatever happens to the Affordable Care Act uh, from January twentieth forward, and so January twentieth, twenty seventeen forward, and so. Rather than see a mystery behind this, I think the truth is that they have actually no idea how to fulfill his promises um, or anything remotely looking like his promises uh, and uh, and address health care. So, you know, we've done a lot of research. Others have on how many Trump voters actually rely on the Affordable Care Act, five to six million people. Those people actually believed that he would produce something better than the ACA for them, something with less paperwork, or many of them did uh, believe that they'd get less paperwork or lower premiums. And the reality is that this is a giant bait bait and switch. It already always was, and they have no plan. And I think truly they're just uh, in the mode of, like, scratching their heads about what to do. I mean, they have a number of senators who don't who have stated they want to do a repeal and replace together, vote on that very eminent idea that if you're going to rip up the healthcare system, you should have your replacement at the same time. And uh, they don't know how to do that. What? How much damage could uh, Trump's uh, Health and Human Services Secretary, Tom Price, do to the Affordable Care Act without any legislative changes? I mean, they can definitely undermine the insurance markets through regulation. I think my message to them, and I I think hospitals, insurers, and others are actually delivering this message, is that, and and consumers, is that anything that they do to undermine the markets is, is they're going to own. Now, I appreciate that Paul Ryan has an ongoing strategy to tell people that, the ACA is a disaster so that he has free cover to do what he'd like to do. But I think, honestly, you know, they don't have a lot of credibility on health care. It's not like people tend to believe uh, Trump on these issues or Paul Ryan and that, you know, we have a job to do, which is to remind voters that this law, you know, obviously could have some improvements, but it has fundamentally succeeded in delivering health care for millions of people. And the good part of the debate we're having now, which has really sh- sh- uh, shifted public attention and public support, is like we're having a debate about what people would lose if they lose the Affordable Care Act. And I think that's what's really fueling this groundswell of opposition you're seeing flood into town halls across the country. Yeah, it's been this really interesting thing that uh, the more Obamacare is in jeopardy, the higher its approval rating goes. Um, (laughs) Now, do you think protest and strategy is playing a part in that? Or do you think it is more the basics of people now see it in their lives and they're worried about what happens if it's repealed? I think with any policy or any policy change, uh, it's easier to understand what you lose than what you gain. Uh, And uh, so I see, I think here... (laughs) People are really focused on what would happen if the ACA went away. And you're seeing people, you know, people are going into town halls and they're telling their stories, their own stories of being in college and being able to afford a surgery because they, you know, were able to stay on their parents' plan or uh, having a pre-existing condition and being able to get health insurance for the first time. These aren't, you know, these aren't stories I made up. These are people who are going into Tom McClintock's district and telling him how 
they their lives are better because of the Affordable Care Act. And I think it's it's not a you know, to me, you know, when we look around the country, this is there's no strategy here. I mean, we love people to go to their town halls and the Center for American Progress Action Fund is definitely delivering information about when town halls are and how to call your member of Congress. But this is all organic. You know, people are worried about what Trump will do, worried about losing their own health care, worried about, uh, you know, an erosion of sort of democratic institutions, and they're taking to the streets. And I think that's, you know, the most important thing coming up is the February recess that starts February 20th. And I urge people to go to their town halls, ask their members of Congress who are now avoiding town halls to actually have one and have a discussion before they decide any votes on the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, we need a big presence at those town halls. If someone's at a town hall with a Democratic member and asks, you know, what would you do to actually fix the Affordable Care Act? Mm -hmm. What would you tell Democrats to propose to that would substantively improve the Affordable Care Act? I mean, that's a great question. And there are steps uh, that we've offered, the White House has offered, people offered for the last seven years to improve the Affordable Care Act. I mean, there are issues with affordability, particularly for middle class folks and whether we could improve the subsidy level a little bit and make it uh, a little bit more affordable for folks. You know, there's been tremendous savings in the Affordable Care Act. Hundreds of billions of dollars. It's come in hundreds of billions of dollars below cost estimates. And so taking just a little portion of that and helping increase the subsidies would do a lot. We could strengthen um, the benefits, the kind of benefits that are offered, make those more affordable. There's some issues with. Uh, particular families at particular incomes, it's kind of got this fancy name of the family glitch, but those things can be kind of smoothed out, uh, making it harder for making it like easier for people to get insurance, but ensuring that they really stay insured. There are a bunch of ideas that could improve, absolutely improve the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, a lot of the moderate uh, Democratic senators in the Senate and a lot of Democrats have offered that. And I think when you hear Democrats say that they're happy to kind of improve the law, there are good ideas to do that. What we shouldn't do is tear apart this law with no replacement in place. What about a public option? Uh, you know, I, I've, I'm a strong supporter of a public option. I think that would be great. And, you know, I'm all for offering it. And it, offer, it actually does offer uh, competition uh, in every part of the country. So. How much, uh, um, this is just a pet peeve of mine, how much damage do you think Paul, Joe Lieberman personally did by getting rid of the buy-in and getting rid of the public option? Because it makes me crazy like once a week. <laughs> I mean, is that the? Podcast. It's like the public option might be just one of the top ten things of damage Joe Lieberman has done. <laughs> Not a friend of the pod. Not. We should okay. make him a shirt. Um, all right, Nira, I want to get into it for like one second, which is you know, look, we we here at uh, Pod Save America, we once did another podcast, and we were uh, quite, uh, I think, dismissive. Of some of the arguments that the Bernie Bros were making about mm-hmm. Bernie who, supporters, even not just Bernie the Bros, not just not, yeah, even that. It, no. I mean, I consider myself to be a Bernie Bro now. I use it as a term of, of love Think and admiration. Okay. Weren't you um, but, always but, a Bernie bro? I mean, weren't you a Bernie bro before there were Bernie bros, John Lovett? Thank you, Nira. Correct. <laughs> I don't know how you think that, but I'm going yes. But anyway, I feel like we were dismissive. I really just think it's the hair. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I, have a, I have a Brooklyn vibe, and I appreciate that. Oh I, I do wear the skinny it, jeans. This is the next your question. Question. Oh, yeah, I had a question. Right, Nira's here. Um, so I feel like uh, uh, 
we were kind of dismissive of their argument uh, uh, on policy and also on electability. And I just, I think I've been, I think we've been reflective about that. I'm just wondering what you think the lesson uh, of the campaign is with regard to some Bernie supporters and Bernie's uh, policy positions, his campaign. So, you know what, the the big thing I learned this year, and it applies, uh, it applies to Bernie Sanders, but it applies to obviously more than Sanders, is that I think we do have to recognize um, levels of enthusiasm and, and excitement. And I think, you know, just to move it to the other side, uh, Trump had a strategy of really exciting his base and emanating out. Um, you know, growing support from the base out. And I think uh, there was an incredible amount of enthusiasm for Senator Sanders, which we should, you know, I, I was on the platform committee. I saw it. I, I, I bore witness to that. And I think we need to recognize the importance of generating that excitement um, in the future and that you need to have a strategy in which your base is energized. Um, but also, you know, obviously have a strategy that reaches out to a lot more than that. But a an enthusiastic base is is critical, and and I'd say if we save the Affordable Care Act today, it will be because people are joining these town halls, people are calling their members of Congress, people who haven't been active before in politics are seeing something at stake, and 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 taking their labor and <laughs> trying to change the political process, and that is. That is vital to democracy, and that is the kind of thing that's going to overcome some of the money spent against us in the future. And so that was a really important lesson from, I think, from Senator Sanders' campaign that we should pay that we should pay heed to in the future. And any other lessons about, like, say, email security? <laughs> oh, my God. Do you think that um, it was it a problem? It wasn't my – thanks for getting this into oh, this, I... but I just want to say <laughs> – my emails were just in someone else's. Mine haven't been hacked directly. Right, Not the, that I'm inviting the Russians. Right. The problem to is emailing somebody, emailing somebody whose password was "hack me, please." <laughs> <laughs> but that's have you that's had a, Podesta on the pod. I'm just no, wondering. No, no, I, yeah. have some, I have some counsel for him uh, <laughs> in accepting the invitation. <laughs> but that that brings up an interesting question, though, and we won't get into all of the email security stuff. But you, when, when some of those emails came out, you were uh, seen as like a bit of a, a truth telling hero in this whole thing because you had very unvarnished uh, opinions in your emails. <laughs> I think unvarnished is a nice way to right. Yeah, to see that. Well, I'm, I'm using that when it happens to me. To be drawn and quartered. <laughs> but I think, like you know, we after the campaign, all we're talking about this, like. You know, I wish we could have been more honest sometimes in our criticisms, but once the campaign's going, you sometimes don't want to do that because our overriding goal is to beat Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. But I think how do we all how do we all be more honest now in the early stages about sort of the faults of various Democratic candidates without sort of delving into infighting right? and, and hurting our own cause and hurting our own cause like have you from, from now that all those emails out are you feeling like as you go forward like yeah maybe i'll speak a little more a little more unvarnishedly in the future <laughs> uh I don't, I don't think i could have spoken more unvarnishedly uh in the emails but I, I i hear what you're saying i mean i think that the truth is that it, it's really difficult in a binary choice i mean it's difficult when it's you know um, Clinton versus Trump to 
to because when you're public, I mean, as you know, it's an, the reason why it's hard to do this in a public setting is because you you know the media, people on Twitter, whatever. Whenever you're critical, they they really use that against um, the candidate. And what was really tragic about the WikiLeaks thing for me, and what was the hardest part about it, is that you know the media and the Trump campaign definitely weaponized yeah. these private comments against Hillary, and right. and it. That was like a miserable experience that happened twenty four seven for like good two months of my life. But, um, <laughs> but I I think the I think the uh, I think we have to be honest about our advice to people. I mean, I tried to be honest internally, and I think we should be we should you know we should have a situation where if there are multiple candidates, we can be really honest about uh, where we go. I mean, I would say like an example of this is. I've said to a number of Democratic senators over the last couple of weeks, and it's I'm not using their names, so it's easier. But I've said that, you know, the challenge for Democrats in the Senate today is that they have a kind of playbook for how to deal with a president. But, you know, Donald Trump isn't a normal president. He's certainly not a normal president to his to our to the base of our party. And he hasn't acted like a normal president anyway. So when you do things like you would you know, give deference to a traditional Democratic president or a traditional president, Republican or Democrat, you give deference to their nominees. It's like not normal. I mean, he's kind of playing on the deference you give by jamming through the most radical nominees across the board. And so, you know, I think that's advice you have to kind of give. Uh, I say that publicly, I say it privately, you know, I don't personalize it, but we have to, you know, these are really critical times and the Democratic Party, but like, a lot of Americans are looking for leadership to get us through this these precarious moments, and they're looking for people who will be strong opponents to the kind of agenda that Trump is offering. One last question. So a lot of our listeners are right now trying to figure out how to help, um, and they're going to protest, and they're starting to go to town halls. But I guess, you know, uh, as someone in the thick of these policy fights— uh, where do you think people should be directing their energy right now? Is it to stopping nominees? Is it to the ACA? I mean, if if, if you're asking people like in the next three days to pick one thing to focus on, what would you say that it should be? <laughs> that should be. I mean, I my personal issue and passion is the Affordable Care Act. It's really no matter who's a nominee, it's either going to give people millions of people for 20 millions of people health care coverage or not. That's a choice we make. And I would also make the point that if we are able to break the break back their momentum on the ACA, if we're actually able to save the Affordable Care Act, it may not that I would be motivated by politics like this, but it may actually depress their base in the 2018 elections at a time where we really want to take the House back. Uh, of course, my concern is much more about people who get health care. But if people had political concerns, they might be focused on that as well. I'm 100 percent focused on getting Paul Ryan the hell out of that speaker's office. <laughs> I know I <laughs> follow he... your tweets, but I think that would be a, a great strategy. I guess what I would say is. Um, we're asked all the time how to focus your energy because the reality is part of the strategy of the White House is that they want to overwhelm the opposition by doing 20 times crazy, crazier things than anyone else would do. And that is definitely their strategy. Now, I think what they've done is they've helped create this crescendo of opposition. I mean, I have never seen this level of political activism in 20 years. We went through, I mean, just recall, we had the Iraq war. It was you know, became deeply unpopular, and we never got a march like the Women's March. People are activated. This election was like 
the you know it's like for the left it's like the passing the Affordable Care Act for the right times ten. You know people are motivated. They see an affront to their values, and. I would say I obviously think the Affordable Care Act is the most important thing, but I think the most vital issue is to make a plan to go to your town halls, the town halls of your members of Congress and your senators during the week of February 20th, show up at those town halls and tell them, tell your representatives how you do not agree with what is happening in the country. That will do more. And I I also think make calls every day, make calls to members of Congress, say how you disagree. But showing up and because, you know, he can he the reason why I think Trump lies about crowd size is he understands the power of crowds. He understand. I mean, he talked about it all throughout his his campaign that he got these big crowds. He understands it means people believe in something when they're willing to take time out of their day and go do something. And that's what I think will be the most important you know, aspect out of this whole disaster if we have a sleeping giant that's created that's defending progressive values. That's the only positive I could see out of a Donald Trump presidency. Nira, thank you so much for joining the pod, and, uh, and please come back again. It's great to be with you, Frav, and totally fine to be with you, Jen Lovett. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thanks, Nira. Bye, Nira. Talk to you later. That's all we have for today. Thanks again to Nira Tandon for joining the podcast, and uh, we will see you all on Thursday. Bye. You can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com podcast25.